0: I'm half here. (laughs) Reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse starting at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. From the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God.
1: Amen. Thank you, Tush. So we continue in our um, series of looking through Peter's first letter. Remember last week, we, um, following on from our Easter Sunday, the prior Sunday, we focused on this, this wondrous gift that we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because our hope is him and this inheritance we share with all the saints um, that is being kept for us in heaven. And, and peter is wanting to reassure uh, christians believers spread throughout much of the known world at that time as we sort of concluded last week i uh, hinted that there's implications for this reality this is not just an internal and a future thing but this is something that finds concrete expression and we start to see some of that begin to unfold in peter's thinking as he writes and uh Actually, in that, that passage that Tish read to us, there, there are two primary direct, in a way, commandments to us or calls to us that are very much linked together. One is that we would live out our time in reverent fear. And um, and the way we do that is the second command is to love one another deeply, or as in the New King James says, fervently, uh, out of a pure heart. So, like I said, Peter's writing to um, what what he calls um, pilgrims, sojourners. There's this implication, and he references it here when he says, live out your time as foreigners. I don't know if you feel like a foreigner. <laughs> I do. <laughs> in fact, I have done probably for the last 20-odd years of my life as I've lived in different countries to the one in which I was brought up. But there's a sense in which it's true for the Christ follower that um, – that we belong to a different country uh, we see this hinted at in uh, the letters of the hebrews and the great uh, chapter on uh, the people of faith who've gone before us uh, they decide a better country the writer says because in a way this isn't our true home because ultimately the lord is our home and uh, we long and yearn for the time when we shall be with him fully completely uh, and so there is this sense of we're on this journey, and I love that as a church, it's part of our tagline, the journey of a lifetime, recognizing that we're not there yet, but there's some, there's something of significance about the journey itself as well as the destination. But within that, we feel a sense of disconnect, too, with the world and its ways, even to some extent, for some of us especially, but uh, uh, for all of us, Jesus hints at this, that um, even our natural family, in a way, finds a place within the the family of God now, that there's this greater family. And it's just interesting as, you know, we were greeting Peter and Sally made the comment that uh, here are your brothers and sisters. You know, there's a real reality to that, that we belong to one another. <laughs> and, uh, and, and in a way, it supersedes our natural family. It doesn't make it insignificant. It's really important as our natural family, as we will see later in, in the chapter. But but ultimately, God is a father who takes us up. In fact, um, the psalmist says, even if your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will take you up. And that's another thing that Peter references here is that um, those of us who call on the Father, he says, this is interesting. Very often, I find sometimes we can be so focused on the person of Jesus because we relate to a Jesus. He's a man. He's physical. He's recognizable. He's he's like us. we read of the story of his life in terms of Jesus of Nazareth, and um, and yet Jesus would say he came to bring us to the Father through himself uh, to the Father. In fact, Peter says through Jesus you believe in God, God the Father who raised him. God is the one who glorified him, so that your faith and hope are actually in God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, when encouraging us about prayer through the, the conversation with his disciples, he says, when you pray, pray our Father. We tend to pray a lot, dear Jesus. Not Nothing wrong with that per se. And yet there's something really significant about praying to the Father and our relationship with the Father. For some of us, that's a hard reality. Because of our experience of earthly fathers. All of us as fathers, we, we recognize sometimes the way we, we, we fall short and uh, we're not always there for our children as we would like to be. For some people, that makes actually relating to and drawing near to a God who we read is a father difficult. And Jesus can help in that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think, too, there's something of the healing work of the gospel that God wants to Transform both our vision and our experience of the Father. That was part of my experience, and, and and Paul ponders this as he thinks about the work of the Spirit in our in our lives. The Spirit of adoption, remember, so we're all adopted into this spiritual family, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. It's a term of great affection and endearment and love towards the Father. Interesting too. I was looking in the Book of Revelation. And, um, and when, when God gives, um, John, the apostle John, this revelation of the nature of God, before Jesus, the Lamb comes on the scene, the first revelation is that of God, the Father, the one who sits upon the throne. Let me read these verses. Actually, let me, let me come back to that in a moment because there's something else I want to mention first. The other thing that Peter says is that we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. This is this is meant to give us a, a sense of reassurance and confidence. Peter's saying you, this idea of re- redemption, this is the language of the slave market, where we have been bought back. Our, our sins enslaved us to the power of sin, but through the cross, Jesus has... Um, bought us back, so to speak. He's paid the price of our enslavement in order to set us free. And Peter says that you've been set free from your empty way of life. Or as um, the authorized version says, from your aimless conduct. And and so again, we see that the call of Christ is, is not just a promise of this inheritance that's kept in heaven, but it's a call to live our lives in a certain way. Once we were living in a way that was empty, that was aimless, that, that had little purpose to it. Even those who might feel that they have great um, significance in the things that we do, Peter would want to say, if it's outside of the purposes of God, that ultimately it is empty and aimless. But now you've been brought out of slavery. This, this way of life that you inherited, he says, from uh, your ancestors, this bondage to sin, and to a preoccupation with self. And this cost the father. This cost him everything. Peter compares it to gold and silver, which we tend to think are things of great worth. But to God, those are nothing. You know, he can create mountains out of gold. <laughs> uh, the streets of, of heaven are paved with gold. That, that's not such an issue. However, his only son is a huge issue. There is only one son. And this one son, our father, was willing to sacrifice in order to set us free. The son who was without without blemish or without defect. Blemish being the sort of the, the marks of sin in our lives or the birthmarks of sin which we are born with, but Christ was without that, and yet, nevertheless, he submitted himself to suffering and death in order to pay the price, to buy us back, to set us free. And so those verses from Revelation, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seal, for you were slain and have redeemed us back to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. What a wondrous cry. We get some of those same images through John and his writing of the Revelation, as we see in Peter, as we shall see as we get into the second chapter as well. Jesus buys us back and brings us back to God. And he was the chosen one. Um, He was the one who was foreknown, or another translation, was ordained before creation itself. And this idea of before God even brought things into being, he and the Son knew that this was going to be necessary. This was the plan of God. This was no accident, certainly not just in Jesus' life, but this was his purpose and the reason for his coming. And Now in these last times, and, and, and certainly for the Jewish understanding, there's, there's been this transition from the, the temple era and the worship centered upon Jerusalem to now the new temple, the new creation signified by the resurrection of the dead And the pouring out of the spirit, this this uh, signifies the new era, the last days, moving towards the culmination of God's purposes. Anyway, all good stuff. And so Peter says, in light of these things, live in reverent fear. We are called to live in fear. This seems seems to be contrary to what we just sung about and what we believe also in part to be true. But, you know, this word fear appears, living in the fear of the Lord in terms of reference to God, appears over 300 times throughout the scriptures. And yet we're told perfect love casts out all fear. That is also a truth. But there's an aspect to uh, reverence and honoring, respecting uh, the reality and the nature of God the Father, the creator of all things, that is a positive thing. as I I read back and reflect some of the instances we see this, when Joseph is trying to actually win over his brothers in Egypt, one of the things he said is that he fears God. And he was using that in a way to win their trust. It was actually the fear of God that caused the the midwives to spare the Hebrew babies. And with Pharaoh, where there was no fear of God, this brought disaster um, upon not just himself, But the nation in the book of leviticus we're told to um, treat the disabled the elderly well due to the fear of god because they are especially upon god's heart and jesus himself said fear god who can destroy soul and body in hell paul says in saint corinthians let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh And spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He came to save us from our sinful nature. But that leads us into a battle. In Romans 3, Paul talks about the nature of what we are without Christ. And he quotes the psalmist, actually Psalm 36, which is the ultimate and chief sin. Where the psalmist says, There is no fear of God at all. And that's the condemnation that Paul speaks of as he references that psalm in Romans chapter three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I came across this quote from a man called William Eisenhower. Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to somehow offset the world. How different this is From the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions, so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down, only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. And that's where Peter takes us. The second command, love one another deeply, second in this particular passage. Love one another fervently. It's the new commandment that Jesus gave in John 13 on the eve of his crucifixion. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Paul says, God has set us free that we would serve one another in love. John says, lay down your lives for the brethren. This is what it means to love one another. We're told that the father judges each person's work. Peter said, you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. He didn't say you purified yourself by believing the truth. We have laid great emphasis on the importance of faith, and faith is vital. But faith and works, faith and obedience, go hand in hand. Faith without works, as James reminds us, is always just dead hypocrisy, whilst works without faith or trust and dependence upon God can become legalism without compassion. Grace working together both with trusting faith and obedience. Remember, we've been born again into this living hope because of mercy, the Father's gift to to us rather. And John puts it like this in the beginning of his gospel. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And with this gift of new life, this gift of God's grace in our lives through faith, comes the responsibility in a way to represent this new family. And this way of life to which we were called in the fear of the Lord. I was thinking about this uh, idea of learning to live in a new family. I was reminded about my, um, my, my grandson, Eli, who was uh, adopted from Uganda. Um, about seven years ago now and having spent three years having been just abandoned as a baby growing growing up in an orphanage where there was really nothing of personal possession uh, neither clothes uh, food was a bit of a battle and uh, it was interesting how he brought many of those habits into the new family my son's family where he didn't need to live like that but it's taken and and they still continue the battle of reassuring him that he doesn't need to hide food away in case there's none tomorrow he doesn't need to steal and lie out of fear that he would go without and yet it can take so long for us to really believe that this new family is true and love is real and many of us struggle in the same way the good news for us is it doesn't depend upon us ultimately Peter says, you have been born again of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. This is for our encouragement. This is for our strengthening. You know, words, words are what make up language. They're the way that we communicate um, ideas, concepts, thoughts. Kind of what I'm trying to do now. And God's word does that, but it goes way beyond that. It's, it's being likened to seed. You see, God doesn't just plant ideas, concepts, truths within us, but He plants the eternal Word, the Christ, the Spirit within us. The Christ who was the Word (laughs) with God in the beginning sends the eternal Spirit, which has this potential, just like a seed, to reproduce the parent. You know, we plant a seed in the ground and we anticipate that what will grow will look like where the seed came from. You plant an apple seed, and ultimately you grow an apple tree. You expect the fruit of apples. That's how seeds work. They reproduce the parent. And uh, and Peter will say actually in his second letter that you and I have been given through the new birth and through the implanted word, everything that we need for godliness. And so what has been placed within us is everything we need to love one another fervently and to fulfill everything that God wants for us. The spirit of Christ in us makes us little Christs, Christians, those who follow the way of Christ and his teaching. And and this is such an important dimension for us to realize that this is the work of recreation. This is why the the, the last days have begun and we are in this new era. And the Christian faith must not be reduced to promises for post-mortem. It's okay now, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Yes, the scriptures speak about that. But most of the scriptures speak about what's meant to happen between now and uh, when we transition into eternity. I love how Paul puts it in his quirky language in Galatians. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until christ is formed in you some of you ladies would relate to those pains of childbirth (laughs) but here you've got a, a father longing for his children to grow up to become that which god has created potential for and this is so important this is what sets us apart this is what distinguishes this is what holiness is in a way Anyone can believe certain things. Anyone can go to church, sing songs, pray prayers. The real miracle in Christianity is regeneration. is the recreation of all things as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. So as Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, that, that sincere love, that's the filial um, love, that's the uh, brotherly love. He then uses a different word. He used therefore agape. This is God's kind of love. Love one another deeply, fervently, with a pure heart. We love people not because they deserve it necessarily, but they have a need to be loved. You were created with a need to be loved, and that's not a weakness. But God has chosen not only to love us himself, but to call each of us to love one another. And so we love not because of some ulterior motive, not out of hypocrisy or envy or to try to look good. We love because people need to be loved. And this is true for all of us. And this agape love is the father's love. It's a selfless, sacrificial, generous, compassionate love. And so I want to encourage us to keep Growing in this more and more, as Paul says to the Thessalonians, you do love one another, and I urge you, do so more and more. I want to encourage us to keep focusing on these relational needs, the need of respect, of security, of encouragement, comfort, acceptance, appreciation, that we would become like our God who gives first. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. And so we look for initiatives to give. We notice people who are hurting. I was in a call with some uh, ministers of part of the Anchor Mission this week, and somebody was just sharing testimony of real challenge and difficulty and um, painful things they've experienced with a couple leaving the church in really difficult circumstances, people angry with them. And uh, you know we sometimes share these things and then it's kind of quiet, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, I gave her some comfort then, but... Um, this person was on my mind and uh, found myself praying for them and uh, took the trouble just to reach out and again, communicate some care. And uh, this is what it means, I think, to notice and then initiate care in whatever way the circumstance calls for. Just connect, call people up if they're on your mind, offer help as much as we're able, be vulnerable about ourselves and the things that we're dealing with. And if we, I think, make this a daily discipline, this is what it will mean to grow in the fear of the Lord as we seek to love one another. You know, it begins with our response to the Father and our love for him, because we can never outlove him because of all that he's given for us. And then he continues, if we're married with our spouse and then with our family, the people at home, the most significant relationships, and then we take it out into all the world, wherever the Lord would take us and we would have opportunity. I will suggest this is the Jesus way. This is what it means to be little Christ's. This is what the Spirit is doing by the grace of God in each of our lives as we journey on together. Amen. Amen. Sorry, went on a little bit there.